0: Hello, and welcome to Profit's Healthcare Changemakers podcast, where we'll be talking to leaders in healthcare who are focused on transforming their organizations to drive the next level of growth for their business and for healthcare. At Profit, we believe that the organizations that thrive in healthcare are those that dare to change the game, striving to improve human health, create better experiences, and make the best of care an enduring and sustainable reality for all. Those that will transform healthcare are the change makers, And for this podcast, we want to focus on them. Our podcast dials into and recognizes the people behind the transformation and their journeys in changing the game one story at a time. Are you ready to dive in?
1: Hi, I'm Paul Shrimp, your host for this episode, and today I'm joined by Emily Fry, Vice President of Innovation Operations at Geisinger. Emily, welcome.
2: Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me.
1: We always like to save just three to four minutes up front just to allow yourself to do a a little bit of an intro about Emily, but tell us about yourself, which the, the listeners know, and if there's anything that's kind of off your resume or LinkedIn profile, we're always interested in those fun facts as well.
2: sure. I'm the Vice President of Innovation. I've been in healthcare since the start of my career and I've always known I wanted to be in healthcare. That wasn't the question. It was always just what I wanted to do in healthcare. I started at Beaumont outside of Detroit and really worked in direct patient care as well as within the front office registration side of things. Went to school, worked on grants in the post-acute care setting, and then ultimately landed at Geisinger. Working in innovation, so it's been fun. I've been able to get a breath of direct patient care up to the macro view and affecting mm-hmm. change in policy and programs.
1: That's awesome, and, and would love to get this thirty thousand foot view of how. Geisinger or yourself kind of view the space of innovation? What's your playground, so to speak?
2: Maybe just to start who Geisinger is, right? They're an integrated delivery uh, system. And our tagline is making better health easier. And we serve over more than 1 million people um, across our communities. The organization was founded 100 years ago by Abigail Geisinger. So the system has 10 hospital campuses, a health plan, more than half a million members, a research institute, College of Health Sciences, schools of medicine, nursing, graduate education, and then the Steele Institute for Health Innovation. So my playground is quite vast. As you think about all of the diverse sets of areas within the health system and and different populations and consumers, we serve not only patients, but health plan members, schools, our employees. We have over 25,000 employees and 1,700 employee phys- physicians, and we are a significant booster within our hometown economies. So, as I think about innovation and the lens that I'm able to take, I can take a wide lens and think about consumers more generally, I can then narrow it down to a patient focus and how can we, you know, work on innovations that are solving for high quality care, lowering total Mm -hmm. cost of care, and effectively changing, extending our access reach. So very, very large opportunity uh, of of areas to explore.
1: Yeah, and I'd love to pick up on exactly where you started. I think I want to say Geisinger is one of the rare, if not the only traditional healthcare players that has an orientation around ease. I don't see that word in 100-year-old organizations. I'm seeing it now in startups. But talk to me about this embracing of this idea of better health made easier.
2: Yeah, I think it's important to think about what the consumer expectation is, especially in the landscape that we live in. In the now, the two-day shipping expectation, I'll say, that Amazon created. The digital front door that the world has really started to experience across industries. Geisinger has evolved with the landscape of innovation. Before I came on, it wasn't like there wasn't innovation bred within the organization. It's actually one of the main drivers and mission characteristics, I- I- innovations within that. And you can see it looking at the history of the organization. Proven Care was one of those areas where back before I started the in the Steel Institute, we were looking to help intervene prior to surgery with methods to potentially reduce your risk going into surgery and that meant sending things to your home, preparing you with certain vitamins or medications or, or homeopathic interventions. There, there's different ways that we're thinking about our care and taking it outside of just the traditional brick and mortar settings. Now, I'm not saying those are going away. Those are are very much important and pertinent to your healthcare ecosystem. But how can we also extend our reach into the home has been a mission for many years at Geisinger, which was really impressive to me because I didn't see that before. Programs like Fresh Food Pharmacy, Geisinger at Home, those have been in our model for years, whereas you are just starting to see the market pick up into those trends.
1: Yeah, those are great points. And, and love to keep writing that as well, which is what are some of the big things your team has been working on or has worked on that really speak to some of those breakthroughs or those new trends that we need to be paying more attention to?
2: One of the the specific areas I've been focused on in, in the last five and a half years, thinking about that digital front door. So when I started at Geisinger, I was really looking at how can we extend our reach? And I was able to take intelligent automation and build that department within geisinger that allowed us to take processes where we have redundant manual things happening for our employees and or serving to our patients that we could completely automate and or take part of that and automate it so what does that mean it it, gets information quicker to our patients. We're not waiting for a human to do something on the computer or press a button to deliver that information. We can now automate that based on a trigger of a patient coming in. Um, One of the examples we have is postnatal visit, appointments, as when you're a pregnant mom, you are scheduled all of these appointments out through the length of your pregnancy And when you have your child, shouldn't there just be a trigger to say this person's had their child, they don't need those appointments anymore, let's free them up for new moms that are coming in. We created an automation that when the trigger comes in to say, hey, this woman has had their child or something changed within their care that then cancels out appointments that they did not need and schedules appointments that are more relevant to their current care situation. So that's an example where we're extending our effectiveness in an automated way, which ultimately the long-term transformation is lowering total cost of care.
1: Those are great points. I think those examples are always worth highlighting and underscoring because I think too often I'm still hearing conversations around automation, use of AI, a variety of new technologies, and either the clinician or the company's thing in front of going. we're not trying to replace people or substitute doctor or clinical performance. But to your point, there's a lot of slop in the processes that are not really human related. They're not even clinical related. They're just redundant in a burden that can be eliminated through a lot of uses of automation technology etc that make people's lives easier that are no way a threat to people's performance or role in the organization it's just eliminating headaches in, in, in many ways
2: yeah, yeah exactly that that's hundred percent it there's there's so much work to be done um, across the healthcare ecosystem that Why would you want to spend your time doing those redundant processes?
1: Exactly, exactly. And then as you've been developing innovation, rolling out innovation, trying to get adoption, would love to get some perspectives around what you've learned, what has been the harder part, what's been surprisingly easy, but uh, just kind of lessons learned for our audience as we try to drive more change everywhere in healthcare, but thoughts and perspectives and stories.
2: I talked about automation as one of my focus areas and the technology and, and, and putting that in place is actually the easy part. Another area mm-hmm. of focus within the Steele Institute for Health Innovation is we've been working on this program called Connected Care 365. And the emph- emphasis of that program is really a new innovative care model for delivering and managing chronic diseases across the spectrum from your lowest acuity to your highest acuity. We also are then leveraging technology to enable that care model using AI, using automation and platforms like that. But the biggest challenge is not the technology. It's creating those innovative care models, right? The Mm -hmm, time mm -hmm. that is is needed to be spent, um, and even not just within care models, those processes you're automating, the redesign of process is is an art. Um, And you have to be able to have the time to test and do that in a safe manner, especially when we're talking about clinical care. Yep. We have to really look at how we're delivering care effectively and managing that condition, and then how technology then, once we have that care model or clinical protocol discovered and, and developed, how technology then enables us to do it faster, more efficient, better experience for the patient, and more
1: cost-effective. Those are great points. Um, love to get your thoughts on the new care models. Like, what are you seeing there? What's been helpful, hurtful, but we always talk about, we need to be thinking about new care models, which is a very big, broad term, but I'd love to go hunting for some specifics in terms of changes or adjustments that you've seen that have been successful.
2: Yeah. I'm thinking about what we have with remote patient technology, right? So Mm -hmm. how does that enable us, but how do you use that effectively to inform the clinicians and inform the patients in order to manage their care. As we think about using that, there's a lot of data that comes along with remotely monitoring and using wearables or peripherals Which are two different types of devices that you can use within the home with the patient. Mm -hmm. Um, It involves patient engagement. How is the patient engaged in their care? How is the clinician monitoring their care? And what decisions are being made off of the data that they're receiving? So it's been very important to take those devices and test and effectuate change in the amount of data that we're collecting. The frequency in which the alarming is going to a clinician versus a nurse versus a, a medical assistant and who is the appropriate clinician to intervene at the point of those alerts for the patient's needs. So it comes back to right care at the right time with the right amount of touch. And that's a really challenging thing when yeah. we think about, you know, a hypertensive patient. And you think about your blood pressure and how I'm obviously, I'm not a clinician. So let me tagline that here yeah. for the podcast listeners. Yeah. As we collect the data from our, the blood pressure crop, the Bluetooth blood pressure crop, and we see the differences in your blood pressure coming and managing that for our clinicians and, and the amount of alerts, the trends of data are really important. And so we're looking at what are the right interventions across the pharmacy team? What is the right in- interventions across the nephrologist? Or it, so there's no so many people within your care team. Um, and so when I, yeah. we talk about innovative care models, we're talking about all of those different levers working to intertwine together and not mm-hmm. stepping on one another's feet or doing duplicative services for a patient. When you think about having so many outreaches in a day it's like analysis paralysis of all this information yeah. coming at
1: you yeah and i think that's the interesting intersection as uh fortunately i've had some personal healthcare experiences recently just routine stuff but in managing one of my conditions the healthcare provider organization has a ton of longitudinal information on me by week i'm fine i'm compliant and I now do virtual visits, and they go, well, if you wanna see a doctor, you have to wait two weeks, but if you wanna see a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner, you can do that right away. I'm like, either one's fine, you're gonna pull up a dashboard, that's gonna say I'm fine, it's not gonna need physician intervention, you renew all my prescriptions and approvals or whatnot, it's done in 15 minutes, whereas like the old model was come into the doctor's office, have the doctor see you, the doctor says you're fine, I go, I know I'm fine, and renew stuff, but you're able to use different clinicians in different roles because of the virtual aspects, because of the data and the monitoring to where you don't need to be burdening a physician in a routine checkup when that patient's fully compliant and fine because of all the things you said.
2: And it's not like they're not looking at the data. They may not be right. in the direct management of your care one-on-one face-to-face, but those physician assistants and those physicians and those nurses, the, the care team is talking to one another and to your point and or have the access to the data behind the scenes to monitor and intervene yeah. if appropriate.
1: Exactly, exactly. Because if there's something wrong with me, it would be flagged, it would be alerted, and then I would talk to a doctor. But those are all great points. And then as we think about all the different innovation that's rolled out, what have been some of the the barriers in terms of driving that? Is it appetite? Is it behavior change? Is it perceptions? But would love to get some of your perspective in terms of looking back over the years, what has been surprisingly difficult in driving innovation, which you'd think everybody would be in favor of, but we all know doesn't happen at the pace we'd like to see it at?
2: It really depends on what you're working on, right? Those ba- barriers that you have to overcome. Mm-hmm. You mentioned behavior change, and I want to call that out because one of the things that we had started, two of our my colleagues in the Innovation Institute started a behavioral insights unit. And I've consistently mm-hmm. been impressed by the way in, in how they test these nudges effectuates so much change and like simple behavior modifications in the way we translate or communicate things with patients or employees and, and the change in behavior based on language and or the way something is deployed their ability to test some of those things has been so impressive. So I think behavior change is a huge Mm -hmm. consideration for any innovation that you're doing. Who are your consumers? What do they prefer? What are the different nuances or types of cultural aspects or age aspects? There's a number of different factors, right? So behavior change is always top of mind. I think to perception or The timelines it really takes to innovate. Mm -hmm. There's a perception that transformation, I feel like when I came in, it was go transform. (laughs) It was like I think of the Transformers movie, right? I'm just whipping myself into a car and now I'm a car. It's done. But that's not how it happens. You have to give it time to test things to figure out if you're gonna Mm -hmm. really change dramatically, right? If we're talking about true transformation i think about the release of chat gpt and generative ai this big hype that happened over the spring that's been going on uh, for For years, right? They haven't right. they didn't just whip up code to create this language model that that just does it all of a sudden. And, and then the hype was like, they've been working on it for ten plus years, building these large yeah. language models and curating data in the background to cr- commoditize it for the organizations in the nation. I think that there is a perception of transformation being in the now. I've been impressed because I came in young, ready to go, like mm-hmm. we're gonna do this within a year. And things happened in a year. I'm not saying things didn't happen, but it never yep. felt as big. But then when you look back five years, you're like, wow, yep. look how far we've come. Now we've started to see that transformation. So I truly think transformation is incremental.
1: I, I would agree. It, it takes time. Um, it is funny that the, the months feel long, but when you look back, we'd have innovated quite a bit. The, the other piece I've noticed, is getting people to stop doing things or unlearning things. Like we talked about care models before, and I've seen programs where we try to kind of make the lives of nurses easier by letting them have other people do certain tasks or technology do tasks, which requires them to stop doing it. But they've gotten so used to doing certain things a certain way to let something go drives anxiety and it's completely behavioral or mental, which is getting people over those humps and getting them comfortable with it. and then kind of has me kind of to move to wrap here, uh, you've been at this for a while, different organizations, but would love for you to go back 10, 15 years, whenever you want to pick in terms of how you, when you got into the space and what would you go back and, and tell your younger self that what you know now?
2: Oh gosh, so many things <laughs> <laughs> I've learned over the years to not be afraid. Like the yep. anxiety of making decisions and, and being confident, as long as you're doing it safely, Is don't be afraid to step into change right being in this innovation role i'd say geisinger has been one of the the most foundational experiences for my career because it's just such a different role and being comfortable in the uncomfortable has been something that i've had to really massage and curate over the last five and a half years and and now that i've been in it i i enjoy the uncertainty in a way to say, what are we doing? As long as we're doing it, and I've learned how to make safe and checking off those boxes to say, am I doing something in the right way morally yeah. as well as uh, for the organization, not only for my personal self, but putting myself in the shoes of whatever I'm doing to the, to effectuate change of those uh, that it will impact, I think is really important too. So I tell myself to just make sure Uh, That you're looking at who is going to be impacted by Mm -hmm. your decision before you make a decision. But don't be afraid to step into that unknown and and do it because it's, it's so needed.
1: You touched on a number of good points that come up frequently in our conversations, which is innovation and change requires a little bit of risk. Actually, sometimes it requires a lot. Um, but that's always with the tension with that clinical mindset, particularly around the, the Hippocratic oath around doing no harm. Right. And doing no harm is not the same as avoiding risk or taking risk. You can take risks and innovate and keep things safe at the same time, but there's often this interesting tension I've noticed with healthcare organizations of Uh, fear of taking risks, which is going to fight innovation because they confuse it with safety and doing no harm. And those are different, sometimes correlated, but they're different concepts. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Emily, this has been a fantastic uh, perspective into kind of your career, what you're all working on at Geisinger and really appreciate a lot of the perspectives and and thoughts that you shared today. So thank you for your time.
2: Thank you so much, Paul. It's
0: been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Profit's Healthcare Transformers podcast. This podcast is produced by Jared Johnson and his wonderful team at Shift Forward Health. And a big thank you to our hosts, Priya and Asia, Lindsay Mosby, Paul Schrimpf, and Jeff Gorgi. If you like today's episode, you can find more great content like this at profit.com slash thinking. I'm Anna Kuno, the senior editor of this podcast. Thank you for listening.